I have to admit to you that there are some things that I don't understand. Uh, some things I just can't figure out. For instance, I don't understand why my microwave has a stainless steel inside interior and it has a place for a metal rack and I can do all that but if I put a fork in there it's like a lightning storm I don't understand that why how come the metal rack is okay but the fork is not I uh, I actually saw a guy one time who didn't believe it and he, he had a, uh, like a burger wrapped in the foil wrapping, paper and foil, you know, and he stuck it in there and said, I don't believe that. He caught it on fire. Really did. And then he looked at me and said, whoops. I don't, I don't get all that, but it doesn't matter if I believe it or not, it's still true. I can choose to not believe in gravity and say, I don't believe in gravity. And, uh, or I can say, I believe I can fly and I can get, to the top of one of the tallest skyscrapers in the United States and I can jump out one of those windows and I'm going to fly all right but I'm only going to have one direction and the flight's going to be okay but the landing's going to be awful all right because gravity is real we live in a world today where there's a lot of confusion, a lot of misconceptions of what's going on in our world because once upon a time there was a generation who knew the difference between right and wrong. They struggled to do right, but they knew the difference. Then along came a generation that uh, they struggled a little bit with, with knowing the difference between right and wrong, and so they were in trouble, and they de- did these things, and it created problems in their life and the problems in the culture. But they struggled with the difference between right and wrong. Today... Today, we live in a culture that doesn't even know there is a right and a wrong. We live in a culture where it's okay to decide your own right and wrong. And they believe that uh, morality is something that each of us, each person defines for themselves. You define your own morality, I'll define mine. I mean, I've had people say to me, well, I know, you know, you're Baptist, and so they, you believe this, and you believe this is wrong, you believe that's wrong, and, and that's okay for you, it's wrong for you, but it's right for me. Because we define our own morality. Well, what's wrong with that? That's about, that makes about as much sense as, uh, to me as it's okay to put a metal rack in the microwave and uh, uh, not a fork. And if you don't believe that fork is going to make a difference, it'll, it, it will make a difference. I've actually seen somebody leave a spoon in a coffee cup, and it, it was, you're going to go home and try this, aren't you? I just know everyone of you guys is going to go home and try this. You're going to burn up your wife's microwave, because I know you ladies won't do this. You know better. A lightning storm ensued. I'm telling you, it happened. But even though that doesn't make sense to me, that's right. That's true. That's what happens. And here's the thing. See, if we believe that, then I can believe that uh, it's okay to take something of yours if I want it because I need it, right? Well, it's my morality, my believing. Now, you say, we would, I would never believe that. I would never do that. Let me ask you another question. Have you ever told, and I use this phrase very casually or very cautiously, a white lie. 
Because what is a white lie? I don't know. Where did they ever come with that? White? Making it seem pure? Lie? No. No, no. A lie is a lie. But if you... Do you believe... Maybe you don't even believe it, but you do it. That if you get enough trouble, you get in trouble, it's okay to tell a little little white lie to get out of it, right? Mm, No. A lie is a lie. That That is what it is. Well... We live in this world of moral relativism. And I know you're right now, you're wanting to fill in those blanks. Hang with me, okay? We're going to get to those blanks. Uh, We live in a world of moral relativism. And that is where I decide my own reality. And be careful, because if you decide, if you say, I decide my own morality, you are making yourself God. So in this, in a world, in the culture that we live in, we, we've kind of created that. And it's, and by the way, I want you to understand this. That is how, that is how the world has justified abortion. You understand that? That's how the world has justified abortion because it is best in my mind for me. Listen to me. If you, if you believe that, you're saying it's okay for me to take the life of another human being because it's best for me. That's a pretty bold statement when you look at it that way, isn't it? But that's what moral relativism does. And then we we get into this word that we hear so much these days called tolerance. Well, here's the very tear in the fabric of tolerance. Moral, moral, now understand I'm saying moral tolerance proposes that All ideas are morally equivalent. That if you're going to really believe in moral tolerance, it means that all ideas are morally equivalent. Now, most or a lot of of our, at least our society, doesn't have a hard time attaching abortion, some other things, with that. But the problem is, if we're going to say that is true, and moral relativism has the authority to, to live and to grow, and to even be among the church, then why don't we include things like incest, and moral, I mean, and murder, and pornography, and, which, by the way, some do, child pornography, and... Uh, uh, drug cartels. Why do we even have jails? It's okay for them to do it. Let them do their own thing, but they're unsafe to society. Who decides that? You see, that's, we're going we're gonna to see this unravel in, in just a moment, but if that's true, we get, we've got to tolerate everything because truth is relative and all morality under moral relativism is negotiable. Everything. It's laying on the table. We can discuss it. I have mine, you have yours, all this. Well, the first time I ever heard anything about this hap- like this happening was in the book of Genesis. And if you remember, Eve was standing there and Satan, who's, who found himself in her presence, he tried to convince her to eat of the only fruit that she wasn't supposed to eat or even touch or they would die. So here's what... Uh, Here's what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. But when the woman saw, she saw it with her eyes, that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, a tree desirable to make one wise, she made that first decision of moral relativism. She made a decision. 
It's good for me. It looks beneficial. I like the way it looks. And the Bible says she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband, and he ate. Well, you know the rest of the story that you and I have inherited, that we have inherited the depravity of man that started in Adam. Before you get too hard on Adam and Eve, you can't be hard on Adam and Eve unless you have lived a sinless life. And I'm convinced you have not. Moral relativism led to that. Now, I want you to open your Bibles to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. Now, open that Bible up, and you're going to have to keep it open. I'm going to read to you a couple of verses, but then you're going to have to, then you're going to need to keep it open because we're going to go back through all of these verses that, uh, through the remainder of the chapter. But in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, how many of you found it? Raise your hand if you found it yet. All right. We're about halfway there. All right. Romans chapter 1, verse 16. This is what the Bible says. Paul is writing, and this is what he says, very, very important. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Keep that Bible open. Put your hand there. Let's pray. God, I pray that you'd be with us today. Lord, as we open and study and try to discern your word. God, we're talking about some difficult things today. But Lord, your word is very clear. Lord, help us to walk out of here deciding that it's not our opinion. It's not our thought. It's not even our own morality. But God, it's your word. And through your word, we want to create a morality in line with you, faith by faith. Lord, help us to understand that and grasp it today. Lord, I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. All right, here you go. Now you get to write your, fill in your first blanks. I know you're just dying to do that. Here we go. Moral absolute says that God decided right and wrong. God decided right and wrong. And what that means is that we have, we have to adhere to his will and his command. And get this, God is completely sovereign. Sovereignty is what gives a king the ability to reign, all right? Or a queen the ability to sit a throne and reign. Sovereignty. God is completely, ultimately, unconditionally sovereign. God reigns. God decides. For you decide that you're going to create morality is for you to say that I am God or I am above God. And you're not. Moral absolute. God has decided long ago what is sin and what is not. The word of God is very clear about it. And listen to this. It doesn't change. Not with culture, not with opinions, not with temptations, not with desires, not with lust, not with greed, not even with trouble. God decides. Sin is sin, period. 
Then there's moral relativism. And that's where we decide our own morality. And that's based upon the culture of the generation. There's no right or wrong except what I decide is what moral relativism believes. And your rules do not apply to me. I decide in moral relativism, I decide what is right and wrong for me. Well, let me ask you a question. Does that work going down the highway? No, it doesn't. Yesterday, my daughter, Brooke, got on an airplane. I was telling John about this a while ago. My daughter, Brooke, got on an airplane, and she had a layover in Dallas, and they picked up a four, four girls that were going to a party, and they were pretty excited. I think they were partying before they got there. And they got on the plane, and she said they were rowdy and loud, but they refused to put a mask on. You know, when Dad says, I will turn this car around, he means it. So they told these girls that if they didn't put their mask on, they were going to go back and and uh, drop them off. They're thinking, yeah, right. Dad turned the plane around, and they got off. They were, thought they could make a decision whether to wear that mask or not. Whether you agree with wearing a mask or not, doesn't even matter. The rule on the plane was you have to wear a mask. You don't have to agree with it. Listen, I understand there's a lot of opinions on masks these days, all right? A lot of opinions on masks and vaccinations and all of that. We're not here to talk about that. But the rule on that airplane was you have to wear a mask. And they chose not to. And they were dismissed. And let off. Can't you imagine that was fun for them? I bet that party was good. You don't decide what's right and wrong for me. God makes the rules. God makes the difference between sin and righteousness. And we abide by it. Now, there are two problems with moral relativism in particular that we're going to camp on today. So I want you to find these. All right. First of all, I want us to look at God's plan or God's way of salvation. Look at, look at his plan for salvation. Look at verse one. Remember, I told you to keep that open. Just keep it open. We're going to go through all of those verses all the way to the end through verse 32. All right. God's plan for salvation. Here I am. For, here's what Paul said. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is, now you might want to underline this word. It is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes. For the Jew first, and also for the Greek. Let me be very clear. When he's saying for the Jew and for the Greek, he has literally covered everybody in society. He has literally covered everybody in culture. For the Jew to the Greek, he's covered them all. All right? But now here's what he said. He said, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Now that word power is a Greek word. It comes from a Greek word translated in English as power. It comes from a Greek word which is dynamos. What's that sound a whole lot like? Dynamite. That's where we get our word dynamite from. So it is the power or it is the dynamite of God. All right? So listen to me. When you, if you're sitting here today and the Holy Spirit's convicting you of your lost condition and you do not have a, a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and you can't tell me, you can't tell God for certain that if you were died today, you would be in heaven. You don't know that. 
and you have not made a decision for Christ for salvation, you are literally playing with dynamite. You understand that? You're playing with dynamite. It is the power of God. Now, John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus said to his disciples, he said, uh, uh, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. There's, there, there's no question. There's no other, no other option. In fact, in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, the Bible says, Nor there is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. No other name. No other way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And you say, well, Jerry, that's pretty stinking narrow-minded. It's the Word of God. Listen to me. You can believe that you can earn your salvation. You can believe that you can be good enough. You can believe that you can hang around the right people. You can give enough money. You can do all the things you want to do. You can believe all of those things, and you can believe that it's going to get you to heaven. But the Bible says that if your name is not written in the Lamb's Book of Life, one of these days, your belief is going to become a a reality to you, and you're going to realize it is too late. doesn't matter what you think. You can think that you can fly, but if you jump off the Sears Tower in Chicago, you're going to make a nice little splat on the ground below. You are not going to fly. You cannot defy gravity. It's God's plan for salvation. God's way is the only way. All right, let's look at God's plan for righteousness. Verse 17, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just, those who are justified, those who have God has forgiven and has and paid for their sins, and now he has forgiven, and they are justified from that sin... Someone has made an atonement. Someone has made a payment. That is, of course, the Lord Jesus Christ. And because that person has gone to him and accepted his free gift of salvation, that atonement has now been applied and accepted, and they are justified now. And so um, what, what the, the Bible explains to us and, and tells us that salvation reveals God's righteousness. Now, the people that Paul was addressing understood righteousness like this. They thought that if they kept the law, they were good. Well, it's called legalism in our day. I want to tell you something. I'm not good enough to keep every law of man. And I'm not certainly good enough to keep every law of God. We say, if you think you are, let me ask you a question. Have you ever told that lie that we talked about a while ago? Just a little one? Have you ever told a lie? If you have, you're a liar. The Bible says that uh, Jesus said that if we we look with hatred upon someone else, we're we're a murderer. Have you ever done that? The Bible says that Jesus said that if we look upon a woman with lust in our heart, we've committed adultery. Now, wait a minute. We're talking about liars, murderers, and adulterers. Could any of those people really be among us today? 
Is it possible for us to be partaking in those things? But salvation reveals God's righteousness because true salvation produces righteousness. Not our own righteousness, not self-righteousness. That's the legalism part of it is self-righteousness where people try to live a life good enough to, to earn their own righteousness. We can't do it. The Bible says that ours is like filthy rags. We can't earn it. We can't do it. We're not good enough. There's nothing we can do except trust God's righteousness. Now, salvation doesn't only reveal God's righteousness. Salvation produces righteousness in man, righteous living. You see, his righteousness is seen, God's righteousness is seen through our holy living. So the world looks at us and they watch us as believers if the world knows that you're a child of God, and if they don't, you have another problem. But the, if the world, if your friends know that you're a child of God, they are watching everything you do. And when you mess up, they know about it. And when you're righteous, they know about it. They're watching your acts. They're watching your heart. And so as we become more and more and more like the world, by the way, the Bible talks, the Bible calls that apostasy. And the Bible says that in, in the last days, there will, will be a great apostasy, a great sliding away from God. In other words, believers are going to be acting more and more and more like lost people. Do you think that's the case? Why do we continually want to look like and act like and do the things that lost people do? And when we do that, we're sliding more and more and more in line with them. And his righteousness is supposed to produce righteousness and being seen in us. Now, verse 18 tells us something very interesting. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth. In righteousness. Do you understand that? And I'm sorry, in unrighteousness. They suppress the truth in unrighteousness. So when you and I live in the morality that we create, we're suppressing the righteousness of God and we're living in our own unrighteousness. And we're showing the world that I don't have anything different than you have. Listen to me, if you are a believer, if you are a child of God, you indeed have something the world doesn't have. Because herein is our problem. We live in a sinful, broken, and corrupt world. Nobody here would disagree with that. You watch the news, you see it. My goodness, how many murders a day do we hear about? How many crimes do we hear committed? All of these things are happening in our world. What is going on? And we look at this and we think, wow, what a corrupt world. We are to be the light, the Bible says. We are to be the light to a corrupt and dark world. We're to be like a city on a hillside where people can see and know the, the pathway to Jesus Christ. We're to be that light. So, God's way is the only way. Number two, moral relativism is a for, formula for a morally bankrupt society. Moral relativism is a, it, it's, it's the formula for a morally bankrupt 
society. And I'm going to give that to you. We're just going to walk right through these verses and you're going to see them exactly as the word of God just gives them to us. These are not my words. They're not my thoughts. This is the word of God. If you have an argument, if you don't agree with me, you're not disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with God, go to this and there's absolutely no other way to interpret this. All right. Number one, they became foolish trusting their own wisdom or trusting their own desires. The Bible said, professing to be wise, they became fools. Professing to be wise, they became fools. They thought of themselves as having all the answers. You know, the, the world kind of looks down at Christianity nowadays, doesn't it? And they think we're just kind of ignorant old country bumpkins and we don't know anything and, and, uh, uh, we're just so closed-minded. If you're open-minded, you would see all these things. You would, you would, you would do all these things. You're just so closed-minded and, and you just can't see because here's why. All right. Don't be too critical of them. They don't understand. They're, they're walking in darkness because they haven't seen the light, but they became, they are foolish because they're trusting their own wisdom. Professing to be wise, they became fools. All right, number two, they made God into what they wanted him to be. Verse 23, they changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Have you ever noticed that idols, and he's talking about the creation of idols and how mankind has created idols. And I know we like to separate ourselves from that because we're, we're so sophisticated. We would never have an idol. Listen to me. We have idols in our lives. We have idols in our lives. We really do. But if you notice the, the carvings that people tend to worship, they tend to be of either an animal or, or a human being because we exalt them to be our God. So when we move to the side of moral relativism, you know what you're doing? You're taking something else other than God and you're making it or yourself God. I'm amazed at the power that athletes and actors and people that are in the media, the, the influence they have upon us. Because we look at them, they, if they say this is a good brand of toothpaste, we go buy the toothpaste. If they say that this is a good car, we want to go buy the car. Because we put so much stock, so much believability in what they say, it's almost as if you're thinking, have I made them a God? So if they say it's okay to do this, the world jumps on board. Well, they say it's okay to do it. It must be okay, right? No. No, that's moral relativism. Who made the rule? Moral absolute. God did. And it has not changed. And not only has it not changed, it is not going to change ever it is what it is. Gravity will always be gravity, all right? I'm sorry, that's where it goes. It's gravity will always be gravity. All right, look at verse 24. Therefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. So God released them to the destruction of their own choosing. 
Have you ever watched somebody you knew they're headed down a wrong road and, and maybe it was drug abuse or alcohol abuse and you just you saw it happening? You tried your best to stop it. You tried and tried and tried your best to stop it. Maybe it's even something like uh, driving extremely recklessly on the, on the roads and you kept telling them, if you don't stop, you're going to end up killing yourself. You're going to end up killing somebody else. It's going to be a terrible situation. And they just keep doing it and doing it and doing it. Then one day you attend their funeral. In a, in a sense... They have created their own destruction. So, so here's what God, the Bible's saying, here, here's what Paul's saying, that God gave them up to uncleanliness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And we, we live in such a, such a sexually immoral society right now where relativism has created the belief that things are okay that are not because there's a desire because it's in my heart because I crave this because I want this so since I want it since it should be okay moral relativism all right look at verse 25 they chose a new god they exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and they worshipped and served the creation, the create, uh, the creature rather than the Creator, who blessed forever. Amen. Let me read that again. They exchanged the truth of God for the lie, and worshipped and served the, the creature rather than the Creator, who is blessed forever. Now, who's the, who's the creature? They have created for themselves a new God. I remember 25 years ago, we preached about humanism because humanism was a thing. It's still a thing. We've just called it different things along the road. Humanism is the worship of man. And there, there was this idea that we would just worship mankind collectively. And we still do that, all right? Humanism still exists. Don't misunderstand me. But we've got a little more focused with it. We worship ourselves. We worship ourselves. And we created that philosophy or made it true in our own lives. If it feels good, do it. It's okay. It's all right. God made you that way. Just do it. It's okay. And the rest of the world needs to accept that. Because that's the way it is. Accept that isn't the way it is. It may feel that way, but and we, we don't even want to talk about it. We don't even want to remove the parameters that, that stop this. But we say, well, I have this desire, and maybe you were born with a desire that doesn't make it right. What if I was born, born with a desire to start taking lives? Is that okay? No, that's not okay. What if I was born with a desire to have multiple wives? Is that okay? No, that's not okay. We see people who have a propensity and a desire to do things. It is not okay. It is not all right. All right, now we're going to get serious. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Women quit 
acting like women under moral relativism. Men quit acting like men under moral relativism. You understand that? And they create their own God. They create their own sin or lack thereof. They create all of these things and say, it's okay. Because I have that desire. Was it okay when Eve had that desire? No, it wasn't. Would it be okay if this guy had a desire, a propensity towards children? No. No. It is not okay. For this reason, God gave them up to their passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Verse 27. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another... Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Why did God give them the penalty of their error? Because it was sin. You're wondering what to write down there. They created a new sexual orientation. You know that word, don't you? They created a new sexual orientation. And God gave them up to the penalty of their sin. Verse 28. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do the things which are not fitting. They rejected anything reminding them of God. Let me read that first part again. They rejected anything that reminded them of God. Here's what he did. They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. Listen, I'm going to tell you right now. You want to know why the world is such a mess that we're living in today? You want to know why culture and government and politics and everything is such a mess? Because the world has decided they don't want to retain God in their knowledge. Bottom line. Bottom line. The world has rejected God and they can believe that that's okay. But gravity exists. Nothing will make that water bottle float. Gravity exists. Whether you believe it or not. I really thought if I held it there it'd fall. I mean it'd stay but it didn't. Let me try that again. Will it stay? I believe it's going to stay this time. Of course it didn't. Listen. You can choose to believe it or not. But it's fact. The word of God teaches us Finally, they created for themselves an unsafe and an immoral society. By the way, it's the unsafe and immoral society that we live in today. Romans 1, 29. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness. They are whisperers. Backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who, knowing the righteous judgment of God, for those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Does that not Describe our culture right now. 
Man, it describes our culture. I read that and I thought, there is absolutely no doubt that this, that the word of God is so relevant here today. It describes what we're living in. You know what got us there? Not because people are believing in moral absolute that God created everything and God's, and God makes all the rules and God makes sin, sin, and God does not ignore sin, but because of moral relativism, Oh, you just believe what you want to believe, and I'll believe what I want to believe. You know how it happened? To retain relationships. Friends were friends, and they disagreed. So rather than just saying, well, we're going to agree to disagree, we're going to go, no. You believe what you want to believe, and that your, your belief is right for you, and I'm going to believe what I want to believe, and mine is right for me. I remember my wife, shortly after we got married, talked about how she'd been sharing Christ with one of her best friends. Who had passed away. Died in an awful car accident. And Pam was really upset. And she said. What continues to haunt me. Is that she said. Well you've got your way to go to heaven. And I've got mine. No. No. Absolutely untrue. That's moral relativism. I am the way the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but my me. Jesus said that. There's none righteous, no, not one. There's no other name given among men whereby men must be saved. Given under heaven by men whereby men must be saved. No other name. No other option. No other salvation. Listen to me. This is how serious we should be taking this. If you have a, a loved one that is going to heaven their way, they're not going to heaven their way, they're going to hell, God's way. Period. We've got to come to reality of this. So what are we going to do about it? Well, we've got to choose God and and God's way. There is a right and a wrong. Period. We need to quit letting people convince us otherwise. God's way leads to heaven. Man's way leads to destruction. We are also without excuse. I want you to look at verse 20. Look at verse 20. We'll close with this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are, underlined this, they are without excuse. Nobody has an excuse. Nobody. And especially you who've who've seen the word of God right here today. I want you to bow your heads. I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think very, very seriously about this. Folks, if, if we're not doing anything else today, we should be on our knees praying for a broken world that we're living in. We should be praying for leaders in our in our society for leaders in our government we should be praying for one another we're living in, in brokenness and to a, to an extent you and i have accepted moral relativism because it's just the way things are listen Paul wrote in the book of Philippians that one of these days, every knee will bow, every tongue will confess. What are they going to confess? Say it with me, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you believe that?
Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. If you don't believe that, you don't believe anything the Bible says. Folks, we've got a decision to make. You might be sitting out there saying, I, I've never accepted Christ as my Savior. I'm trying all their plans, all their ways to get to heaven. I, I thought I was going to get, get to heaven my way. You're not going to get to heaven your way. All right? You're not. Only through Jesus Christ. If you don't have that assurance today, I want you to walk down this aisle in just a minute. We're going to pray. And I want you to take me by the hand. I'll let you, I, if I have to line you up around the front, I'll take you all one by one. I'll take, I'll take other people who I know have a relationship with Christ, and we'll talk to you. All right? I want you to know. And at the very least, you know what? We as Christians, we, we ought to be broken and on our knees. We can use this, these stairs as an altar. We ought to be on our knees praying for a world that's headed to destruction because they truly believe that what they're doing is right and okay. God, I pray that you be with us today. God, I give this time of invitation to you. God, it's yours. You use it. God, your Holy Spirit, do the drawing and the calling. Lord, I ask these things in Christ's name. Amen.